you're about to listen to Brittle Star's really great podcast. The really great podcast is fueled by our well-caffeinated friends at Club Coffee. It's a it's kind of a misnomer because there's no actual club to join. They just they make like they they make coffee. There's no club, so don't don't get your hopes up. They make delicious compostable coffee pods that you can find at retailers across Canada, like Loblaws, Amazon, and Costco. And they're Canadian too, eh? If you're not into coffee, sorry. Hi, Brittlestar here. You're listening to my really great podcast. Each episode, I sit down and have a chat with someone I think is pretty cool. I think you'll think they're pretty cool too. And today we're talking to... Oh, my name is uh, Nancy Lee Robertson. Uh, I was born in Grace Hospital uh, in Vancouver, which is now a women's hospital. Uh, this is going I, way back. Uh, this is a lot more information than I was anticipating. Oh, I thought you wanted the the, uh, the creation. Lifestyle. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, Who I, you are and what do you do? What do I That's do? Who I am? I'm Nancy Robertson. Uh, uh, I do television, sometimes uh, some film. Uh, I uh, was on a series for a long time called uh, Corner Gas. And I played Wanda. And that's, I have a terrific have to, dog. That's fantastic. You didn't. I mean, I was concerned that you were starting to justify yourself to me. You don't have to justify yourself to anybody. <laughs> that's good to know. I'm getting tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and me, uh, guest number two, I'm, <laughs> I'm Brent Butt. I'm a greasy nightclub comedian and writer Boo. and producer and actor and whatever, a hand-to-hand combat specialist. All right, I'm not that. But the rest of it was all true. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I think in uh, there's a whole bunch of interesting things I want to talk to you about. But one is, first of all, right before we started recording this, there were some DMs flying back and forth. And it got a little, it was a little, a little <laughs> personal. I apologize. We were talking about the technical aspects of recording this because we're doing it remotely because you guys are way out on the West Coast. I'm deep in the heart of the center of Canada. Not really. <laughs> Just close to Toronto. Way to boast. <laughs> uh, and uh, we were talking about the technical aspects and then you chimed in and said, uh, Nancy, you chimed in and said that all you're hearing is the, the teachers and parents from the Charlie Brown show, basically. That's sort of... Yeah, wah, 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 yeah. Wah, wah. that's exactly what it is. Yeah, and I revealed to you that I played Charlie Brown in grade eight in the musical, and uh, and uh, it was a, it was it was a kind of personal comment that you yeah. made. But I wanted to prove it to you because playing Charlie Brown in a grade eight musical is the kind of thing people would lie about just to impress people. I think so. I wanted to show you this, and that people won't be able to see this after this listening to a podcast. But I'll... <laughs> oh! nice, you got the threads. <laughs> that is fantastic. But I'm so. For those who can't see, he's holding up a yellow sweater with the oh, jagged black stripe. But I want to know how you figure, like this is your Perry Mason moment. Here's oh, your evidence. Oh, I want that. How do you figure this proves anything? <laughs> that's what I, that's, like you could have just bought that yesterday. And I may have, but <laughs> more to the truth though is that it was the, the reason I got the part was that I, uh, I had the mannerisms of Charlie Brown and my mom was willing to knit the sweater. That was literally <laughs> the actual truth. So that's, <laughs> so that's the actual sweater, you know, from grade eight. Not bad, right? I was like, look at this sweater. Not I, bad. This, this is a big sweater. This would still fit me now. Yeah. You were a big kid. Did you I like, was, was this your apex <laughs> around the age of 13? <laughs> 
<laughs> He's a brute of a 13-year-old. And then it all went downhill. Well, just it plateaued. Really flabby. Well. <laughs> it plateaued, but then kind of started going down <laughs> when I was 15. I was pretty flabby when I was 15 <laughs> and just went downhill after that. Um, but I wanted to, first of all, address that just to prove to you that I had, well, it doesn't even prove to you, does it? I haven't no, proved anything. This is you don't my necessarily point, exactly. believe me. I'm sorry it cut to the bone, though. That's no way to start this off. I apologize. <laughs> you know? Well, what's funny, though, and this leads to the next thing, is that uh, you know I've been fortunate enough to uh, to work with and chat with and meet a bunch of celebrities, some big TV types, and I'm, I'm generally not phased. I mean, even with tough people, like we did stuff with Gordon Ramsay, and when, and I wasn't nervous to meet the guy. I was like, whatever. I'm sure it's just a thing. For whatever reason, in my mind, I had built you up into sort of like the Jay Z and Beyonce. <laughs> And you were going to be really standoffish. <laughs> yeah, no, we get that a lot. We get that a lot. They're like the Beyonce and Jay Z, but it's weird in people's minds. I'm the Beyonce and Nancy's the Jay Z. Right. That's yeah. that's the part I don't get. I'm the son of a bitch that cheated on him. Yeah, really, God, that's amazing. <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm meaning him the oh. Jay Z for anybody out there. Oh, that's right. going to want to like flash me. No. A yeah. character definition, I understand. That's good. Well, I guess they would, I mean, you know, they would be the Nancy and Brent of, of America, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, is what I'm exactly. Trying to get. It's like the old Maurice Richard, Babe Ruth thing, when somebody yeah. who was being interviewed and somebody said to Maurice Richard, now, they say that you're the Babe Ruth of Canada. And he said, nobody says that. Some people say Babe Ruth is the Maurice Richard of the U.S. Sure. <laughs> Which is a weird thing about uh, the, like, I find, like, with Canadian culture, for sure, we're always so eager, not eager, but we're always so in the mode already. We're already in gear to, like, put ourselves in second place all the yeah. time. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're, you know, we're the such and such of Canada. So here's a question for you guys. What's really odd to me is that there's a number of, well, I say there's a number. I think there's been a number of married couples in Canada in comedy, like in entertainment. Why? Why do you think that is? Who who else would have us? <laughs> Colin and Deb. Colin, exactly. No, nobody else would have us. <laughs> Colin Mockery and Deb McGrath. Yeah, exactly. Married. Uh, uh, the the Smith uh, couple, um, like Red Green and, and oh yeah. Steve Smith, Steve and Red. Red. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like, are you guys supportive of each other in that way? Are you like because in our living room, we call our living room the place where comedy ideas come to die because people just shoot them down. Are you guys supportive? <laughs> um, I think so. Yeah. And we're, we're, we crack each other up in a legitimate way, I think. And we have, but we have pretty divergent, we come at comedy pretty divergently, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really, uh, I'm a comedy writer, like I, I'm a stand-up, but you know, right. I, I write my stand-up stuff and it's, and, and I write scripts and it's about kind of Crafting and honing and and you know reworking and finding tags and changing a word out so it has a double O sound and all those kind of things. Right, right. And Nancy is very you know she was without I don't you know I don't mean to embarrass her but like without any hyperbole easily one of the top improvisers in the country. Oh, um, I think she lots played, of people would would not go. Oh, yeah. no, I mean it's if you ask anybody in the improv scene, sure. Um, when Nancy was uh, doing improv with Vancouver Theatre Sports, yeah, 
there was, you know, there was nobody that you would put ahead of her. She, her, her abilities are fantastic. So she doesn't. She's not good at taking compliments. Well, it's just but, because no. I mean, that's. But just I think let me that's... just say this. So she, she's very instinctually funny, right? Whereas I'm constantly trying to craft and hone <laughs> the whatever language I got going, right? I'll just say that it, in my defense, I'll just say it's not about skill. It's about it's about I don't care about being stupid. Right. <laughs> I you know I don't I don't care about how I look when I do something. Right. And I and and I don't care if I say something that's stupid or or falls flat. It's like I'll get over it. Yeah, I've kind of had a philosophy. I was going to actually name a comedy album this because uh, I just like it's kind of a personal motto, comedy wise. Dignity is the enemy. Yeah. When it comes to generating comedy, dignity is the enemy. <laughs> it is. Which is, in, I mean, it's one of those things you learn as a kid, at least I tried to learn when I was a teenager, is like the less I tried to be cool, the more cool people would think I was. Yep. Like, because you didn't really care, which is sort of the, the goal. Well, there's power in not caring, though, too. Do you know what I mean? It's, there is so much yeah. power. Not that not that you you don't want people to, to not like what you do or think sure. you suck. But then if you're really worried about that, then we're all doing the wrong thing because, of course, people are going to think, you know, there's always, you know, people are going to go, oh, you know, you suck or blah, blah, oh, no, not my cup of tea or all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, yeah, but maybe you're somebody's and that's worth the, that's worth the leap. Absolutely. I think it's interesting between the difference of the improv style because you're right. The improv style and the written style of comedy is very, very different. I have uh, uh, friends with David Milchard, who, of course, is part of theater sports and all like, or was part of theater sports. He's really good. David's great. Yeah, he's phenomenal. He's an incredibly funny guy. He's also, and maybe you'll tell me you can you can answer this question as well. Uh, knowing David for a number of years and having gone to with both David and, and Matt, who he does convos with and other projects with. Mm-hmm. I remember being at a, a meal in Banff at the World Media Festival, and, and we were somehow got invited to this swanky dinner. And we went into this uh, amazing restaurant, and we're sitting down, and we don't really know the people around us, so we're kind of introducing ourselves. And uh, so this woman across the table from me says, "Oh, I'm so and so," and she was from like a, one of the networks, which is now a defunct streaming service, and uh, but it was owned by one of the big companies. And she was very nice. And I said, oh, and I said, I pointed to David who was sitting beside her, who was sitting across from me. And I said, this is uh, David Milchard. He's a comedian, uh, one of the saddest people on earth. <laughs> <laughs> and I just find comedians so incredibly, like when people refer to me, I'll, they'll say, oh, you're, you know, uh, they'll say brittle star and they'll say uh, internet comedian. And I'll be like, oh, no, no, I'm much too happy. I'm much like, I'm not as sad as a comedian. Mm-hmm. Are you guys sad? No, no, not at all. No. And I and I, um, I, I wouldn't say I rankle at it, but I don't uh, buy into the sad clown thing. Not that it doesn't exist. There are certainly people out there who um, fall into that category. Mm-hmm. But I think you don't hear about the contented comedians as often because it's not it's nowhere near as interesting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. to say not only is he a comedian, he's also pretty <laughs> average and well balanced. How about those apples? <laughs> Right, it doesn't make for a very good story. No. So it's much better. The, the Pagliacci kind of sad clown thing makes much better headlines. So, but but there there certainly are. I mean, we all have our picadillos. I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, we're not Pollyannas, you know. But we're also. <laughs> I have a penchant for human flesh, for one thing. Yeah. That's oh, we should probably cut that out. Actually, that's more of a secret than anything. <laughs> I don't. I like playing angry, though. I have right. to say that. Sure. I think playing angry is great, and I and I uh, I really enjoy that. But I don't. 
I mean, everybody's everything. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like everybody's got their moods and put and, that on a t-shirt. Yeah, everybody's, everybody's everything. everything. Yeah, okay. It's a pretty good philosophy, actually. It is. It's pretty good. And everybody's you know, in somebody this, in this divisive time. <laughs> nobody is nobody. Everybody's everything. I, uh, um, I, I never really was watched a lot of stand-up before I got to know Brent, and I just. I, I just the one thing that always kind of upset me, like it, for anybody that's up there, I don't like being yelled at, right, and getting angry. And mm-hmm. the one thing that was different with improv, you could play somebody angry, and it's a, and it's directed at the person you're playing across. But sometimes when when comedians are angry and they're on stage, it's you see you feel like you're the recipient of it. Mm-hmm. And I've never kind of, I've just. I just like, for me, everybody has their own taste. I just like silly. I just think silly, I don't know. It just, it hits my funny bone a lot more than angry does. So when you, like if you're listening or getting some pitch, essentially some ideas, and Brent's asking you to sort of be the soundboard for them, are you listening to them and and thinking, well, this would be funny if this happened or if this went in this direction? Are you thinking that word's funny or like how, like what's the... I just want to, I'm interested to sort of see what the dynamic is because it, certainly, I guess I'm just jealous. What's it like to have a nice working marriage? Is it, is it ah. happy? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, we came into this, we started <laughs> in a working relationship, right? So, right. like, we weren't a couple. We didn't know each other. Like, I mean, I, uh, we knew who each other was prior to Corner Gas. Right. But just because you kind of know people in the industry and the business. But sure. We didn't, you know, we didn't know each other really. We weren't hanging out or anything like that. When Nancy, when Nancy's name came up for the role of Wanda, we were having a very difficult time casting the Wanda part. I had initially written her um, older. Anyway, nobody was really coming in and nailing it. And then our casting agent said, because we were having trouble casting the Wanda part, said, would you be open to looking younger? And I said, yeah, I, I guess so. Like, there's no reason she's got to be a certain age. Mm-hmm. And so I she don't said, know how old they were looking because I wasn't that young when <laughs> You I were in your it. 30s, for God's sake, you know. I had written her kind of, the notion was she was in her 50s. Right. And she was kind of a bridge between Brent and Oscar, kind of was my right. notion. She had worked for Oscar and now she's working for Brent, the new boss. But anyway, um, I said, yeah, we could look younger. And she said, uh, because you know who I think would be really funny in this part is Nancy Robertson. And I said, oh, yeah, she's really funny. Let's see if she'll read. Mm-hmm. And then she came in and nailed it. So so we came into this um, as a working relationship first. So once we, down the road, became a, a couple, all that working balance, that was already established. So. You know, I would write scripts, and she would act in them, and that was the dynamic. Yeah, but I would have no. I mean, when we became a couple on Corner Gas, I I had no inside insight to anything. Yeah, that and was important that we just kept it we, separate, yeah. and she had no more privy to scripts than, than any of the, of the cast other cast or anything. So I, it, it was, and and uh, so there wasn't, so there was no collaborating in any part, right? You know. And anything like say that was any of the cast did that was improvised, we all threw in our own things and did our own things to create the character. So mm-hmm. that was all happening while we were actually working. Nothing behind the hiccups was different. We collaborated on when we did uh, uh, the two seasons of Hiccups. Yeah, which was great. I love that show. By oh, the way, nice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that was more collaborative. Uh, but we don't. We do, as like Brent said, we do come at. You know, at things kind of differently. So, um, 
I mean, I'll give my two cents, but the, I right if if he if he puts it out there, but he doesn't put it out there a lot. <laughs> this uh, so. this uh, this kind of sums up our our day. So I'm in my office. Mm-hmm. I'm writing a script, or I'm writing. Uh, I'm trying to write books now. I'm writing, mm-hmm. writing whatever. I'm sitting there working. Writing away, and suddenly you make it sound like you haven't read a book before. You're like, I'm trying to write books. Working on a book. <laughs> is anyone out there could help me tell, decide what that is? A huge number of words. <laughs> but no, so I'll be sitting there working away, writing the script. Suddenly, the door to my office will open, and Nancy will come marching in, singing a song, <laughs> improvising a song, <laughs> uh, and she'll kind of like a, much like a cat. Yeah, she will cram herself between me and my work, mm-hmm. and she, basically with a look at me. You know, you have to watch what I'm doing right now. <laughs> it's like I'm, she needs uh, to perform. Really, she needs to perform. Constant attention, right? And sure, <laughs> and I need. I wouldn't say constant, but three times a day, certainly. Right, I understand. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not busy. See, that's the thing. I'm not busy. <laughs> So, see, it sounds like you have a nice balance. Whereas, like my poor, long-suffering wife Shannon, uh, I have a, I have like a, like a, uh, a tiny percentage of the talent that both of you had in both of those areas, and sort of thinking on my feet, oh, please. being trying to be improvised, you know, and, and you know, sort of do that, and then also having the the ideas sort of write down and get into those words and stuff, but not nearly the same level you guys have. But don't say uh, that. No, 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 no. But I'm my own cat, is what I'm trying to say. Is basically oh, I am okay. my own. I am curling up on my own laptop. I am then <laughs> running in front and singing songs in front of myself, and Shannon is just trying to avoid me most of the time. So. <laughs> hey, it's whatever works. Oh well, exactly. Listen, I'm not going to rock that boat. You know what I mean? It's no. it's not worth it. I'm too old to date, <laughs> so it's whatever she needs. Ugh, dating. Ugh. <laughs> too old and too tired. Ugh. Um, I was going to ask you another question, actually, because of course, like with you know, Corner Gas is is much beloved and uh, highly successful, incredibly successful show, and a very very funny show, and one of the first shows for, for a Canadian production, at least to me, that I thought, even though it was evidently Canadian, it didn't try to be. It wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't sort of like going, we're Canadian, we're Canadian all the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's sort of like, think of the, uh, was it Alice Monroe who said, you know, to be something to be Canadian has to involve rape and incest. And you guys didn't do one show about either one of those topics, which is good, really. No, that's true. Did it, not, not that it hit the air anyway. No, <laughs> it's in the box set. But that was one of the things that, I mean, this, this was near and dear to my heart because I... Like when I grew up, there was two channels. You know, we had CKBI and mm-hmm. CFQC. One was from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. That was our CBC feed, and one was from Saskatoon. That was the CTV feed. Mm-hmm. We only had two channels growing up in my hometown, and so there were precious few Canadian shows. And I was desperate for them. I want because there was some part of me that wanted to get into Canadian TV, and um, I, I was dying to see more Canadian stuff. Mm-hmm. But it it seemed to me like. Because there were so few programs, they all seemed to have that kind of. They were cramming the Canadiana down your throat. Yeah, it, and it drove me crazy. It was always like he's a he's a a, a teenage moose, and but he and he wants to play in the NHL, but his father wants him to stay at home and work at the canoe factory, and and it was just so forcedly Canadian. So going into Corner Gas, I said. I remember the first day when we were filming, the set deck had, um, they were kind of excited, just the fact that we weren't hiding the fact we were a Canadian show. Right. A lot of 
productions come up to shoot in um, Canada and they pretend they're somewhere in the States. Sure. And I said, no, this is Saskatchewan. This is Canada. We're not changing the money. This is Canada. Mm -hmm. So we came to set deck to shoot the first day and there was probably 75 Canadian flags on the counter at the gas station. (laughs) And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. What the hell? This is, let's maybe dial that back so there's one. Right. We could have one. (laughs) But let's not go crazy. And that was kind of the philosophy behind it was always this show happens to be Canadian. Yeah. It happens to take place in Saskatchewan. That's it. Uh, the rest is all about characters and how they relate with each other and how they, they piss each other off or they decide to do something together or whatever. It's But it's just the, the backdrop of it. I said this is the way, like with Seinfeld, it wasn't about New York. It just happened to yeah. take place in New York. And that's it was exactly all about these people thinking. and the jokes and stories. Yeah, that's exactly that's what, what I wanted with Corner Gas. Is that you have the shows like your Seinfelds and stuff where it's it's not it's not like they're talking about American stuff all the time. It's just the interpersonal relationships that happen anywhere. So I remember at the time thinking, you know, seeing it, like how great it was and how exciting it was to just be funny. Like it was just a funny show. And that's all. And the fact that it was Canadian was kind of a bonus. It's like, which is also a very Canadian thing, isn't it? Something that's good, and you find out it's Canadian. Oh, it's really good. That's great. Um, (laughs) Or it's good for a Canadian show. Yeah. (laughs) Well, exactly. Yeah. There's always a little bit of that. Well, they're trying, but you guys didn't suffer from that at all. I mean, I mean, certainly not from the outside. You didn't suffer from it. I remember seeing the promos the first season it aired, and I remember thinking, oh. Like with the theme song and and mm-hmm. the way it was shot, I thought, oh, this, in my mind, I thought, this looks like an opening for a U.S. show. Like there yeah. was something kind of, and of course, like who would have been in charge of that? I, I don't, obviously I don't know, but I just thought, well, that's interesting. Yeah. And I think those promos themselves, because they had a certain... For the time, a slickness, and I think that's what originally brought in the viewers because I thought that was really effective because I was impressed yeah. by the promos. And it, what they didn't show any scenes, so, so it's not right. like I can say, "Well, I was impressed with us as the the cast yeah. or the writers." It was just, it was just, a, it was just teasing you as to what was coming, mm-hmm. and I thought that was really effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and David Story, our key director, who was my partner going into it and throughout the run of the whole show, and he was the director of the movie and everything. It was his uh, kind of bailiwick to be in charge of how the show was shot and filmed and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there was three executive producers on it. There was myself, David Story, and Virginia Thompson. Mm -hmm. And uh, while we all kind of weighed in on all things, I was in charge of the creative David was in charge of sort of the show's overall look and feel and making sure it got delivered. And Virginia was in charge of the, you know, the, the money and the banking and the deadlines and the unions and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was David's decision to shoot it on film, which mm-hmm. was, um, you know, it was pretty high-end stuff. That's how a lot of the U.S. single-camera stuff was shot on film. Right. We shot on film, 16-millimeter film. And it just had a very, you know... It had a very good, layered, deep, rich feel to it. And it was also very bright at the time. We came along at a time where every show was trying to be dark and edgy. They were like, (laughs) I always said it was like, you hear these people talk about their shows and it was like, listen to your drunk uncle tell you how hip he is, you know? (laughs) Oh, I'm dark and edgy and cool. Every show came down the pipe was like, so we're dark, we're edgy, buckle up, that kind of stuff. And we were so not that. It was all. It was a lot of blue sky and sitting around cracking wise. So it was very. I think people found it refreshing in a way. Even though none and, of the characters got along. 
Right. Yeah, but, that, it was, I mean, but it was in a comfortable way. It was it was due to familiarity. Yeah, they we're really quite nasty to yeah, each other. Yeah, all the characters are are not supportive of each other <laughs> in the town. But it's so relatable in a sense, though, right? It's very it's very much you can sort of see yourself uh, in certain characters at certain times and certain storylines, which is I think obviously one of the big reasons for its appeal is you could say, oh, that's so much like my dad. That's so much like me. That's so much like whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and what's really interesting, you can clarify this for me, but I'd read a number of years ago, <clears throat> and it, it it stuck out to me because with me working in social media and creating content for social media, so like when I started doing stuff, I was doing stuff on Vine, which was 6.4 seconds per video. So I was very, very aware of like... <laughs> How to, how to make use of those 0.4 seconds for the you know the beat at some point or some sort of punch mm-hmm. at the end, and uh, and I, I did okay at it. I did all right at it, but I remember reading about Corner Gas and someone had mentioned that essentially most of the scenes were 30 seconds and that was it. Was that intentional or is that correct? Well, we were just. It wasn't really intentional. Like we didn't say 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. We just said you know partly because. In the writing room, we're all chatty, right. chatty people, mm-hmm. and the idea was it's easy to it's easy to get chatty mm-hmm. in your script, and let's just try and keep it moving. Let's try and keep, you know, it's a, a show set in a slow rural community, so let's keep the pace up, right, a bit. Let's keep it keep it moving just to kind of counter that because if you have, you know, long slow scenes in a slow rural setting, it really is going to start to drag the pace of the <laughs> show down. Big part of its appeal, though, obviously, right? Because you could, I mean, you know, back in the day when you would turn the channel around and, you know, surf channels, you'd come to it and you'd be like, well, I'm guaranteed going to see something funny. Like, all I have to do is hang on for a little bit. There's going to be something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to worry if I've arrived in the middle of a joke. There's another one coming in like 30 seconds or so. It's going to be funny. Yeah, you're not missing anything. You're not, yeah. like, if you go, if you do jump in, though, like, it, yeah. Yeah, my philosophy into it was always that uh, comedy was going to preempt everything else. Going to preempt logic. It was going to preempt budget. It was just we had to emphasize funny. We had to make this a funny show. It's one of the reasons that we developed these little fantasy pop-ups because in the writing room we were coming up with jokes yeah. that were kind of that were really funny, but they were too big. They would fracture our reality. Right. And so I didn't want to do that, but at the same time I wanted to make the jokes happen because they were funny. So we had these. We just created this device where you quickly pop out and see what somebody's imagining. Right. So then. Now the world's your oyster, yeah. but you come back and your world hasn't been fractured. Your reality's the same, and we we made hay with that. That was a lot of fun. You know, you'd see you go into Hank's brain and see Wanda fight a werewolf, right? Right. You know, <laughs> that we that we could do that kind of thing. It was so great, and then of course you you know you went on to the animated version as well, which is phenomenal. Oh, I, first of all, I'll go back just briefly to sort of say to you that w- the enduring quality of Corner Gas. I don't want to heap praise on you. I did an interview yesterday, and it was much more. The praise was much more directed at me in yesterday's interview, and I feel like it's lacking in this interview. But that's <laughs> well, it's fine. Good to mix it up. Good to mix it up. A little balance. Well, it's keeping me humble. I'll tell you that. Um, but my mother and father just this last year started watching Corner Gas from the start, from the get-go. Ah. And it was like they had never seen it or heard of it before in their lives. And they're like, have you seen this Corner Gas? It's quite funny. I think it's a Canadian show. <laughs> and uh, But they've been like loving it, like just totally loving it. So thank you for, nice. for keeping my parents off the streets is basically what I'm trying to say. Well, and thank your folks for keeping us off the streets. <laughs> they seem like wise, logical, reasonable people with impeccable taste. <laughs> 
So I was going to say you went on to uh, to do the animated show, and that's super exciting. How did like how does that kind of thing come about? Is it, it basically like well, we you know we we it's a really great property. You want to keep it going. You want to keep the show going in the world, and the, obviously the fans are really keen to see more of it. Did you just do you pitch that kind of thing? Say hey, let's do it animated. Then everyone looks good forever. Oh, kind of. <laughs> yeah. The way it came about was so we did six seasons of the live action, hundred and seven episodes, and then wow. I just kind of pulled the plug. I said I think that's enough, and I didn't want to. Watch the show wither and die on the vine, and and right. and become less than it could be. I thought I felt we owed it to the show to, you know, I always said I was just going to listen to the show and let it tell me when it was ready to go, and I felt like we were ready to wrap it up after 107 episodes. So we did, and then the idea was, wouldn't it be great if we came back in a few years and did a movie? a feature film theatrical movie, and that'll be the cherry on top. And that's exactly what we did. Five years later, mm-hmm. we did Corner Gas, the movie. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was going to be the end of it. But what happened was way too many people came out to the movie. <laughs> so it was like physically selling out theaters. I remember right. my brother Lloyd calling me up and saying from Calgary, I can't get into your stupid movie. It's all sold out. <laughs> like I was like, oh, no, what a, what a terrible bit of news. Well, it's also because it had a short run. When it was right. going into the feet, there was a deal made up that you, it was only going into the theaters for like a yeah, thing, had a, had a window. Uh, just a tiny yeah, window. Sure. So but, yeah. people were trying to get in the window. There. But it did yeah. well enough that Cineplex called up CTV and said, listen, can we have this for another weekend? It, oh, the, wow. They asked to extend the, the because it was, yeah, the, it, the response was enormous. And then the, the, when the movie aired on TV, it, it it was like the most watched. We won the whatever the award, the Golden Eyes or whatever they call it, the award for most eyeballs on the show. Wow! Uh, we, so seven million, seven million Canadians watched the movie. That's phenomenal. And um, somebody in the states are going to looking at those numbers <laughs> if they're listening to this, going seven million. Yeah, ouch! That's, that's, that's one out of five people. <laughs> but in Canada, it's a big exactly. number. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like reading all the stats yeah. in the paper right now with like vaccination rates and stuff like that, and then the Americans going, "Yeah, but we have a lot more people here." It's like, yeah, that's how percentages yeah. work. That's how yeah. it works. <laughs> that's yeah. right. <laughs> but anyway, so the network just phoned up basically and said, listen, there's clearly still an appetite for the for these people in this little town. Would you want to do more episodes? We could we could make a deal to do more episodes. But I didn't want to just come back and do more of the same. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Janet's health wasn't good and we were all I felt yeah. like we were getting older. And I, I had this image of remember going when they went back to Gilgan's Island and Gilgan's hair was white. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want that. That's a terrible feeling. <laughs> I didn't well, want to traumatize any youngster the way that traumatized God, we're me. We're all dying. We're all dying. <laughs> yeah. it, Do you have to smash to me everybody. in the face with my mortality like that? I always used to say that of like Ellie Mae. Not that Wanda was Ellie Mae. That would have been like the the, the you know the the babe on the show is you know is is Gabe and Tara, but Wanda with her pigtails. Right. And I remember seeing the actress who played Ellie Mae going into these uh, Donna Douglas. Donna Douglas going into these kind of fanfares and stuff like that and she still no. wore the pigtails and holy shit it's baby jane and i and and yeah. you know and i thought i don't you know i kind of figure i'm not off baby jane to begin with i'm not going to push it <laughs> <laughs> so there so, is a there is a limit to certain things so i didn't want to limit. do more episodes but um the idea of being employed <laughs> 
I like that idea. Yeah. And so we just kind of sat down and said, if we were going to do something, how could we deliver Corner Gas but make it different? And I have a background in cartooning and illustrating and graphic design. And right. I had actually, when I left high school, I went to Oakville mm-hmm. to Sheridan to study animation, but I left after about four days. Don't point at me like Oakville's my thing. Don't point at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's your neck of the woods out there in central Canada. <laughs> Um, I'm from Central Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was just easy to come up with the idea of well, what if we animated, right? And and then the idea was, well, it might stink. Let's, uh, I said, let's just make a three minute demo and see how it feels. Yeah, and we did that, and everybody just said it feels right. And that's I'm, that's hard enough. I mean, like even doing like a show like that is is a major investment of time and effort, and yeah. like more almost more than like a full full production, is it not? Takes more time. Mm-hmm. Takes more time for sure. It's about this, you know. It's a comparable number of people involved and a comparable expense. At the end of the day, when you amortize everything and you just go per episode, it's comparable price, mm-hmm. but it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. That's what I find. I was going to go back to what you said uh, about listening to the show, and I think that it, I mean, I think that's really, you know, good advice in general. But then I started to wonder because uh, I just optioned this short story to be turned into a TV series recently and it's it's a slow terrible terrible process to me com- compared to social media I would like to make it last week but it's now like this super long drawn out process anyway in doing the negotiations I got help from uh, from Ryan Reynolds which is really lovely and really great and he had a big phone chat with me and he's telling me all the things to say and listen to and all that kind of stuff in, in these meetings and uh, one of the things he said was in sort of like the lights dim and the focus goes just entirely on him and it's kind of a spotlight and he says, just listen to the story. And you just said the same thing and now I'm thinking maybe he just made it up. He stole it from you. <laughs> no, it's just, I think... Um, in What hasn't he? <laughs> Honestly. Well, that's it. That's it. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's such a Johnny-come-lately when it comes to... <laughs> Being a creative Canadian, you know. <laughs> no, he's, uh, you know. It, it, but I'm rooting for him. Yeah, I, I, think, I wish nothing yeah. but the best for him. I think he's going <laughs> to click. I think it's going to click for him one of these days. <laughs> if only he'd go to the gym. That's the I only know. thing that I could say. I know. Just, just go to, to the gym, just Ryan Not Reynolds. to bulk up, just to tone a yeah. bit, you know. Yeah. That's yeah just lean, just get it ripped. That was his other advice, was like, listen to the story and just tone. Tone a bit. <laughs> but it's it all comes down to story, really. Mm-hmm. But people mistake story with plot. They're two different things. Yeah. You can't have story without character. You can have plot without character. But mm-hmm. you need you need somebody for the audience to give a shit about. Yeah. Or or nothing matters. And so you, you know, story story is character. I think I mean that was what was really great about the characters you know you had written and that you guys brought to life uh, was that you do have like this empathy for them like there wasn't they, well, they weren't just entirely you know two dimensional characters you kind of got to see softer sides and warmer sides and you kind of felt for them and harder and, sides and darker yeah, yeah I mean on, on any given week you know Wanda and Lacey might be best of buddies one episode or you know mm-hmm. and the next they're like. Brent's got to step in between because they're ready to kill each other. It's whatever the story, wherever it took it. And it was always driven by character. And that's the way people are. People aren't any one thing, you know? People are all over the map. Yeah. People are, people are layered. 
And and I think that just kind of we were writing from a place of character, from a place of character, and jokes mm-hmm. were important. That's why we were all over the map with, with the with the people with the characters because that's how people are. Yeah, so great. Yeah, Stuart, that's how people are. That's Stuart. damn it. Yeah, that's how they are. I, just in case you didn't know, <laughs> people are a lot of things, Stuart. Just going to tell you that, okay? There's a, there are a lot of things that people are and can yeah. be. So if I could leave you with that. Put that, put that in a T-shirt. I'm just being bitter because I have nothing to add to the writing process. But I would say that. And also I'd say, don't eat it if it's raw. <laughs> well, this is great because it actually brought me to a, one of the questions is, uh, what's a, a, a really great tip you can give to people? And I think don't eat, don't eat it raw is good. <laughs> that's, right. I think that's, a, that's a fine tip. If you have another one, I'll take one. If you have another really great tip. <laughs> But I don't buy that at all. I think there are many things you should eat raw. Don't listen to her, kids. It's not a blanket statement. You know, uh, a pork sausage, sure. Sure. But an apple is terrific, but listen, uncooked. In general, I think it's just safer yeah. to, uh, you know, to we're not don't here bite to, into it unless it's cooked. We're not here to play it safe, Sally. Look, I'm looking for a logo for a T-shirt. I got to start... Finding a way to brand myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys are so like because you're you, you're sort of ingrained in uh, in people's minds as your characters. Have you had some weird stories of people like recognize you places? I mean, I have like a, a, a modicum, tiny, microscopic level of celebrity, and when I get recognized, it's fun. It's and I can get the whole sort of thing where people are looking at me and they're like, they look at me like they kind of know me, like they're like, Do you. Work at the grocery store. How do I know you? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Did I? Did they go to school with you? Yeah, but I mean, with you guys, it's more like I would think there'd be an instantaneous re- recognition. Uh, they're they're more so for for Brent, and really? then I'm like, if I'm with him, and if I'm there, then it's like the a little bit of the one too, right? It's uh, it, and then they look, they recognize Brent, and I'm just kind of standing there, and <laughs> uh, uh, and then and then they'll get oh. Wanda, right, or something like that. Because you've provided context for people, like being together. I guess so. Yeah, and and then we get who's running the gas station because we're right. both not at work, I guess. Yeah. But there's been times where we've been sitting. I remember one time when we were in uh, PEI and we had had a long day travel, and I don't know what we were there for, but anyways, so we were sitting in this really cozy hotel, just eating. I think probably the best chicken sandwich I've ever eaten in my life, and it was mm-hmm. cooked. And uh, so, and we're sitting there and having like a, a drink and just eating a sandwich and ready, you know, you know, to go, go to bed. We were so tired. And this woman came up and she pushed herself in between the two chairs and literally had her arse in my face and went on and on to Brent and how wonderful she was and looked at me and like wanted me to move kind of like, excuse me. And like moving like that, okay, no. So I just sat there eating my sandwich no. and drinking the wine. And not that I didn't care that she didn't inter- that she didn't know me. That's no big whoop at all. Sure. That's yeah, whatever. Kind of normal. But the fact that she just completely <laughs> like I don't care who you were. You don't stick your arse in somebody's face no. and exclude them from a conversation when there's only two people at the table <laughs> and they're obviously there together. Right. See, I just remember this story as Nancy really cramping my style. Right. <laughs> I was going to say. Oh, I, I recall this really shoehorning my, make me making time with the locals. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to connect to the people and 
you're getting guff for it. It's no good. <laughs> it's no good. But we had when we were on that we were out PEI on that same trip and we were walking somewhere and somebody a couple of women they saw me first and they went Brent Boot and then they looked over <laughs> wow. at Nancy and went and Wanda. <laughs> I always remember the Brent Boot and Wanda. <laughs> I usually get, sometimes it's more my voice. Like sometimes right. if I'm in there somewhere and I'm ordering a coffee mm-hmm. and they turn around, they go, I thought that was you. Just, you know, by the voice sort of thing. But it's it's it's, it's hit or miss whether yeah. they do or not. If him, he's he's quite noticeable. I think, well, I think you're both quite iconic. Mm-hmm. Well, she's making a big head. She's, sell, she's, selling, herself, <laughs> she's selling herself short. She is yeah. short, but she's selling herself even shorter. That's one of the things I find when people... Um, who only know us from the show when they see us in real life? Because we had quite a short cast. Oh, really? I was the second tallest person on the cast, and I stand five foot nine. Right, and I was a giant. You Lauren know. was is the tallest. Lauren is six feet tall. Right. He looked like the Hulk. Handsome. You know? Yeah. And so we had quite a short cast. So people often are surprised that I'm five nine when they meet me. Right. I think they think that I was about six feet tall, and Lauren is about six foot four or something. Are they disappointed? Because. I'm, they don't seem disappointed now. I don't know. Now you made me self conscious. God, maybe, you know, maybe we are disappointing people. Brent Boot. Oh, oh he's only we, isn't he? <laughs> I remember the first season of Corner Gas, and I won't say who the director was, but he was one of the, no, it wasn't David Story. It was because who was our key director, but he was one of the guest directors, and it was the first season. And he was talking to Set Deck, like I think, uh, he was talking to Jay, uh, uh, saying about building me like a ramp to make me taller behind what? the counter. That'd be odd. <laughs> and I was like, can I swear? Yeah, of course. Yes. Yes. I they say, what the fuck are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. I said, I- I'm, I'm a squirt. That's kind of okay. Just yeah. let me be a squirt. Like, don't raise me up. Like, And I thought that was so kind of... Presumptuous, Presumptuous. For one. Yeah. Uh, a little insulting, but I don't right. think it came from an insulting spot. I think he just thought, you know, but we'd also had already shot a couple of episodes, so it would be pretty odd <laughs> all of a sudden if I'm actually, <laughs> you know. a giant behind the counter. Suddenly a giant next to them. She had femur implants <laughs> in yeah. between the episodes. And yeah. then I think, I think you or somebody had gone up to him and said, you know, it's not a very tall cast. With the exception of Lauren and and Gabe's and Gabe's, you know, a beautiful, long and lanky. But in general, we're you know, I mean, I'm the shorty shit ass of it of the the gang for sure. But yeah, I don't know where that was going. No, that was good though. It was good. But I gave it to you. <laughs> <laughs> You're both accepting your your limitations, your height limitations, and I think it's yes. this is a good point for you to move on from. <laughs> Wouldn't it be sad if I didn't accept my limitations, if I was just sitting here going, well, listen, as a lean man with a long, lush head of hair, I find that... My growing years aren't done. There's just this weird cloud of denial (laughs) swirling around me. I'm pretty sure I'm taller than I was last year. (laughs) I was going to say, me thinking I was... What was was her name? Barbie Benson in the 70s? Benton. Benton, No. I don't know. She lived with Hugh Hefner, yeah, so that Benson. was not a good reference. <laughs> so you can you can keep that or take it. <laughs> if you want, you can cut that out or leave it. <laughs> it's no, it's, it's but just, if you cut, the, don't you know? Eat it cooked. 
Then I'll get sore. Well, because you're doing it for the people who are out there doing their own research and being turned into sheeple. <laughs> That's the thing. Barbie Benson? Was it Barbie Benson? Barbie Benton. I've said her name three times now. Ben- she Benton? just ignores me completely. Who is it? Yeah, Barbie Benton. <laughs> right? I think so. And her so. brother was an actor slash director. Right. Robbie. No, it wasn't. She wasn't married. She wasn't related to uh, yes. Robbie Benton. Yeah. I don't know how, I don't know what to do. To <laughs> okay, make, we're Googling after this. Obviously. Don't, let's keep that between. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> keep the magic alive. <laughs> Keep the magic alive. I'm doing it right now. Keep, you just keep talking, asking okay. questions. Hey, I know okay. what I will say to you, Stuart. My sister uh, likes you better than us. She's such a huge fan of yours. Oh, well, that's really, this is, this well, is we a much all better, are. this is a better direction for this whole chat to go in. Right. <laughs> Barbie Benton. Benton. Fantastic. All right. All right. So that's half. Anyways, I was going half back. Half justified. Let's, let's get back to praising me. Um, yeah. What, what's, uh, what's your sister's name? Susan, Susan, Susan Robertson, and she's uh, she's a massive fan of yours, oh, well, as we kind. all are. Well, that's but very, very she's, kind. Uh, yeah, she was very excited that we were talking to you today. I know, uh, uh, I appreciate that very much. No relation, uh, not meaning both you and your sister, not just your sister, <laughs> <laughs> to Lloyd Robertson at all? No, there were some people that have basically told me, and they were not accepting no for an answer, right. that Lloyd Robertson was my father. My mom's one of those people. Is she? Yeah. Does she think he was my dad? Yeah, she's like, oh no, oh no. Uh, Lloyd Robertson, terrible to his mother, but I'm sure he loved his daughter Nancy. That is so sweet. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I've had to really tell people, no, I'm not kidding, I know who my father is. Right. He's not Lloyd Robertson. Not Lloyd no, Robertson. No, he is. Yeah, he, no, he's not. He's Well, it, it's, I think the mistake. He's a lovely man. Right. Which one? Oh, well, both of my dad and Lloyd. Yeah. Robertson are lovely men. Yeah. Or were for my dad, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Lloyd's a lovely guy. He's a very nice guy. He wouldn't be a terrible guy to have as a dad, I don't think. I don't know. Maybe. I don't no, know. No, I don't think he so. He seems fine. You know? Seems you know. nice. Had a lovely 20 minute conversation with him in the uh, CTV studios one time while he was getting his hair done and uh, before some broadcast. This isn't that long ago. It was like three years ago. And uh, his hair, by the way, which I'd been told by an, an, an assistant director before on another project. And he said he used to work at CTV and Lloyd used to come in, because uh, for those of those listening who don't know who Lloyd is, he was the anchor for the national news on CTV. And Stratford boy, where I'm from as well. And uh, he used to come to the CTV studios with his hair, uh, if it was like a late night election, he'd be perfectly coiffed in the front and then a mess at the back. But he would never turn his head like beyond 20 degrees, and you could never tell. And then I saw it three years ago when he was getting his hair done, and the woman was like, obviously she'd been told to give him the Lloyd. That was, that was it. And he, she was she was pulling his hair up and back. And I swear to God, it must have been like 16 to 18 inches long. It was like way up and then way back. And then it was perfect. Like he looked great. He looked fantastic. He had figured out the secret to making his hair do exactly what it should do for as long as possible. But apparently he was a super nice guy. And that used I'm just to, trying to visualize what his hair was like, what the, what the morning was like. I, I mean, I think hair. there's a good chance he'd be strangled in his sleep, I would think, <laughs> by the length good of it. Lord. It was just, you know, it was really, really long. But uh, again, he, he looked great. My dad had a bit of a uh, sort of a pompadour on the front. Oh, right? nice. But it was kind of, his hair was pretty thin yeah. everywhere else. And he kind of had this quite a bit of hair growing long and stacked up like a bit of a pompadour in the front. And I, rem- I remember every now and then as a kid, you know, uh, a good Saskatchewan wind had come whipping down from the east side of Manitoba and uh, snatch onto that hair, and it would just snake out. It would be about three feet long. Sure. And he'd coil it back in. 
and a little <laughs> pompadour back onto the top of his head. Did he have to do it with his hands, or could he like snap his neck back and it would just fall back into place? No, no, he did it. He did it with his with his hands. He had good big meaty mitts, so it was uh, <laughs> he could control just it. Just snag that hair right back up, scoop it into place. God, you'd wake up thinking you were choking on a mosquito net, you know? Well, like, yeah. Just all this stuff around your head or your face. Yeah, never had a mosquito bite, Lloyd Robertson. By the way, just never <laughs> ah. had one. I'm just guessing from his hair. Ah. Tremendous voice. What a great oh my voice. Yeah. Lloyd Robertson's yeah. voice was uh, like, probably at the age of four, somebody said, he's probably going to anchor the news sometime yeah. when he grows up. Listen to that voice. Yeah. There's uh, behind me is, uh, well, you can't really see because my microphone's there, but there's. Lloyd? Are you there? <laughs> Lloyd, come on out. Lloyd! And that's the kind of podcast it's been. <laughs> There's a reel-to-reel machine behind me. I don't know if you can see it there, that reel-to-reel machine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was Lloyd's at the radio station, which is, that's one of my prized wow. possessions. We used to work at the radio station. How did you get a hold did, of that? Yeah. Now, the radio station just gave it to me, like suckers, like ages ago. <laughs> They're like, we don't need wow. this anymore. It was Lloyd's. I was like, yeah, I'll take it for sure. I'll put it on a shelf in a basement studio. He was one of our first big cameo gets on Corner Gas. I remember. There was a little fantasy sequence where Brent had got himself a big screen TV. Yeah. And he was sitting there watching the news, eating chips. And Lloyd Robertson's doing the newscast and just, Brent ends up in the TV. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, But I remember when I shot that, it was like so surreal because now here I am on the CTV National News Desk yeah. sitting beside Lloyd Robertson. And, you know, something you see growing up, you watched it a million times. Sure. All the heavy news of the nation being dropped from this podium. <laughs> and suddenly here I am with a bag of old Dutch sour cream and onion chips <laughs> mowing down for this scene. And uh, yeah, that was the joke. He said, I, I don't come to where you work and eat chips. And I said, well, you're welcome to. <laughs> Did you do it? Was that when you filmed that scene? Was it uh, his desk, the anchor desk? I think it still is facing into the corner of the big newsroom behind them. There's like a big newsroom behind them. And then I remember. Yeah, seeing, because it was quite small. I remember yeah. that thinking cramped quarters. And I didn't realize how lonely he must have been when I, I finally got to go behind <laughs> the desk. I was like, he's just staring into nothing. Like I thought he was like staring into a sea of news people, like looking up going, yeah, that's right, Lloyd. Good for you. <laughs> Checking the teletype machine. Um, okay, so I've got one more question for you. And the question is, if you could give your one year ago self some advice, uh. what would it be? So not your younger self, because that's been done to death. And it doesn't have to be pandemic related either. Just sort of any anything sort of, because I think... I have this. I'm fascinated with this notion of uh, the idea. If you could, have, if you could see into the future, but only like a, a really short time into the future, so not short enough that you can't do anything about it. Because I also have this notion to be horrible. If you could see like ten seconds in the future, that'd be terrible. That'd be horrible. <laughs> but if you could see like a year into the future, you could do something about it. So thinking back a year, what's some advice you would give yourself from a year ago? I don't know that I'm not stupider now than I was a year ago. I may be on the decline, you know. So I, I, I don't know that I have. You wouldn't even it's remember more like it. my year ago self should be giving me pep talks today. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, I can't now. All, see, ever since you started talking about seeing in the future, I can only think of Stephen Wright's joke about how he's a, peripher a peripheral visionary. <laughs> he can see into the future, but just off to the side. <laughs> a year ago. It doesn't have to be profound. We're not looking for, for profundity. For that. Is that a thing? That's what we're not looking for. We're just looking for it. It could be like learn how to use Zoom or something. Nah, you know I, mean? I see anything. some stuff like that. That's yeah, Zoom. Uh, 
Yeah. Zoom hasn't been good. I'm not big on Zoom. Because <laughs> you, you, like, you look out of the corner of your eye. This is going to be just yeah. a supercut of you saying, don't eat raw foods, and I'm not a fan of Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Here's something maybe. I, I This uh, summer, I got myself a typewriter. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I've wanted for a long time. I've been hankering. I, would, I always watch YouTube videos of people typing, old typewriters and stuff. And I just, I love the sound of them and I love the feel of them. And Nancy mocks me relentlessly. Are you sure. watching another typewriting video? Yeah. Guy typing. Um, Are you watching porn? No, no, it's a, it's a, a <laughs> Remington. It's a Smith Corona. Yeah, it's a Smith Corona. It's typewriting porn. But when I finally, uh, I, I knuckled under and I said, I'm going to get myself an old typewriter. I got a 1957 Smith Corona Silent Super. I got it this summer. And it brings me such pleasure. Uh-huh. I would probably say to myself a year ago, get, get that damn typewriter. It's Do a couple, that. it's like 300 bucks. Yeah. Gives you so much pleasure. Why are you not getting this? You know you're going to get pleasure from it. Why are you denying yourself this? And I actually use it as a, a writing device. Like I don't, like I write. On my laptop, yeah. But I sometimes I will write scenes um, on the computer be, or on the typewriter because it's very very difficult to edit on yeah. a typewriter. You basically can't. You can X things out, and, yeah. But to go it, to go back and make changes is very difficult. So it forces you to keep moving forward, and I find that to be it's a it's quite productive. Yeah. So you bang out your story or your scene. You get to the end of it, um, and it's crude and rudimentary, and then you you um, you know needs a lot of fixing. But now you have your story or you have your scene hammered out, mm-hmm. and because you, it's forced you to keep going forward. Where I find sometimes with a laptop, you, I keep tweaking as I go. Right, I change a sentence or I change a word, and it's like that's right. not important right now. Get to the end of the scene. Get to the point of the scene. And so a typewriter will help me do that. But it brings me so much so much pleasure. I, I should have done it years ago. That's a, it was a great answer. Okay, mine is okay. Well, then I'll give you another great answer. <laughs> Here's another one. I, I want to go back to Zoom because a great I, answer competition. Well, all right. I'm going to go back to Zoom because I don't want to hurt Zoom's feelings. My <laughs> issue with Zoom, and this would be my thing from a year ago, is you know I got to. Uh, uh, Oh, I don't care how I look. I'm at an age right now. Who gives a shit? Well, uh. I should have cared how I look on Zoom, <laughs> and, and I because I, you know, and and it's like I'll do this today. Even the fact that this is a podcast and you can't see me, I'll walk away going, ah, you could have put a lip on, something like that, you know. And I didn't, and I keep going that to that that over bravado. I'm comfortable in my own skin. No, I'm not. And then, so I'll go on a Zoom thing. Look, god awful! Like seriously, antenna eyebrows that are that are getting gray. You can hang hats off them. And so I think the, the, uh, what I would say to myself with all the Zoom stuff that's been going on, just take a little self care <laughs> before you go on. So I'm not blaming Zoom. I take the heat myself. So you'd go back to yourself a year ago, materialize out of the ether, and say to yourself, "Hey, hey, yeah. fix your hair." Do something. I would, I would, I would comb my hair. Yeah, don't well, stop a, I would trying. Wash it, a little mascara. Then, I would comb it, then a little dab of mascara, and maybe a little bit of lip. Right. Maybe even a Wouldn't little hurt. bit of gloss. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Wouldn't, Wouldn't that be? That would be like such a kick in the guts. Like if your future self <laughs> appears to you and goes, put on some eyeliner or something. Jesus. 
That's like, that would be devastating. Well, because be there's productive. a scenario. Like my future self comes yeah. back and goes, would it kill you to brush your teeth? <laughs> oh, gee, really? No, because what yeah. it is, is sometimes you think you go back to thinking like when you're 20. And I, you think, you think, oh, God, I'm, uh, uh. Uh, you find out you're not nearly as cute as you think you are, right? So <laughs> well, this is depressing. Because, <laughs> because you go back into your 20s. But so the Zoom thing, it's okay if you're acting. I don't care if you're, yeah. you're a character. I don't care. But when you're, you know, going on the Zoom, yeah, I probably should have, uh, you know, you know, did a little... <laughs> I don't know. Fixing up. I think you look great. I <laughs> think you look fantastic. I mean, you're fair. No, no, I wasn't looking for that, Stuart. No, no, no. Cute thank a, you. Cute oh. as a bug's nuts. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm not looking for that. I'm actually just talking about, you know, like, hey, little girl, put on your, put on your makeup. We're going to Zoom tonight. Now, what's this? See, as the producer in me now is just going, what's that going to cost? To license this music right <laughs> exactly. now. Exactly. I hardly sang it. <laughs> Well, listen, thank you guys so much for spending time chatting. It's been super fun. I uh, greatly appreciate your time and uh, and everything you've given, like all the laughter you've given to people. I think that's one of the things I try to do whenever I get to We meet. didn't give it. We were we were well you're, paid. You're well paid for it. But still, it's kind of we, like we were well paid. it's like thanking the waiter for your food or something or saying thanks to the chef on the way out. It's <laughs> like you still paid for it, but you're still thankful cuz it could have been crappy and you still have to pay for it. Um <laughs> well, the same well, goes I, to I, you. I still say all the time when anybody says thanks for the laughs, I always say thanks for laughing and I and I mean it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's this is a two-way street. This is very much a symbiotic relationship between us and the audience. And the same to you. You've been a light throughout all of this. Like it's all the stuff you've been putting out has just been so terrific. So, well, thank you. And I'm, thanks for having us. It's really nice that it's wound up it, making its way back to complimenting me at the end, which is, again, good. So that helps. Just like you told us in the memo before we started. <laughs> Make sure you bring it back to me and you have that underlined. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll just cut at that point, like right there. <laughs> We're nothing if not obedient. <laughs> Talk about how handsome I am. It said, and that was, I thought that was uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, can I also mention something else, Stuart, while we're going? Yes, please. Uh, I keep butting in, which is no, myself. I wish you would. When you, please. Uh, when you mentioned uh, David Milchard, um, have you ever seen him and Ken Lawson play music and do yes. improvised yes. songs and stuff like that? Yes. I just wanted to make sure you knew about Ken uh, as partnership with David Milchard because yeah. they both, you know, they're so good. They're so David good. David was in my movie, No Clue. Was he? Yeah. He's a phen- he's a phenomenal talent. He's a he's a huge yeah. liability, but he's a phenomenal talent. He's <laughs> Isn't uh, that always the way? Right? That's always the way. Exactly. Up, if you want the juice, you got to put up with the seeds. <laughs> so I just came up with that. Put that on a damn I would go I would tell myself a year ago to put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. I'd be rolling, I'd be swimming in gravy right well, now. Well, I'll tell you if Ryan Reynolds tells me the exact same thing next week. I'm going to call yeah, him on and it. And we'll have our proof. Exactly. <laughs> the Really Great Podcast is fueled by our well-caffeinated friends at Club Coffee. Don't get too excited because there's no actual club to join. It's just a weird name. I don't know why they chose that name, but they did, and they're called Club Coffee. The good news is they, they make delicious compostable coffee pods. You can find it at retailers across Canada, like Loblaws, Amazon, and Costco. If you're not into coffee, sorry. Oh, and they're Canadian too, eh? Brent and Nancy are just like so damn funny and nice, which was a nice surprise because I thought they were going to be horrible and I don't know why. Maybe that says something about their branding. I don't know. They should maybe 
look at that as a possible concern. No, maybe it's just me. It's probably just all me. But thanks so much to them for being on the show, and uh, thanks to you for listening very much, and uh, be nice to each other, be kind, and hope to see you in the next episode.